time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back to Second Hour. So happy you tuned in tonight. I have my Right View Roundtable. Top of the hour, second question. I have Lori Medina and Kirby Anderson here. And here's what I want to know. And you can each have like a minute and a half, two minutes to answer that. But we're going to stay on this subject for a while because I really want to dig down. We have left health care alone for a while. So now we're back talking about it. And by the way, I meant to say at the, start, say at the top of the show tonight that I don't want to say the words R-U-S-S-I-A. Or C O M E Y the whole show. I'm so sick of them. But on the health care bill, the United States Senate has come up with their version of the health care bill. And um, they, uh, you know, as all the listeners know, we had the House after much turmoil came up with a, a revision to a, an attempt to repeal Obamacare, which wasn't really an appeal or repeal at all. And they called the American Health Care Act, went over to the Senate. Now, the Senate's come up with their version called the Better Care Record, Better Care Reconciliation Act, BCRA. It's gotten a funny acronym on, but I won't say that on Twitter. But anyway, um, it is the Better Care Reconciliation Act. But where we are right now is the Senate has come up with a version, and this is being the the majority leader McConnell has said this is going out this week to the floor. He wants to vote this week. So now we have four conservatives at least who have said they're not going to go for this. And one being our uh, Texas uh, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz. You know, we're just uh, big supporters of Ted Cruz and support him. And he's you know, he said no way uh, that he's doing this. And then there are actually, in addition to Ted Cruz, uh, Ron Paul. Um, Rand Rand Paul, Paul. sorry, oh yeah, thank goodness. Rand Paul, uh, Mike Lee, and then Ron Johnson, Wisconsin's kind of showing up as a conservative. And then five uh, Republican senators. Mind you, because of the numbers in the Senate, you can only lose one, or maybe lose two, I guess, because they they have a tiebreaker vote. So you lose two Republicans and still pass this. But there are now the four conservatives plus five liberal Republicans who want a more government-entangled bill. So my question to you is, should Cruz and the conservatives just just go with what they have and let it go and do some repeal? Or should they say, this is such a poor deal, you know, I'm um, stand strong and just let it, which the net effect would be Obamacare would stay in place. Lori, I don't know if you, if you want to go first, I think. Uh, am I dreaming? Is this a continual nightmare, <laughs> yes. Debbie? I feel like I have been in this nightmare for how many decades now? where we constantly have the same question. Should the GOP just take this tiny little tweak uh, with socialism, or should they draw the line in the sand and say no? That's the continually the question, Debbie. We never, ever, ever push the bar back. The Democrats, the well, not the Democrats. I don't even want to say the Democrats. I don't even want to talk about parties. The leftists keep raising the bar and keep pushing us further and further left away from our Constitution. Every year, every month, every decade, we go farther away. The Republicans, we dally around the edges, and then we go back to the voters and we say, but we're better than them. We're better than them. I'm done. I'm sick of it. (laughs) My answer is these guys need to draw the line and say, heck no. No way in this bill, period. No way. And again, this is Senator Cruz, uh, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Ron Johnson, any one of those. I mean, they, they can't lose even this many. Plus, they have the liberal Republicans. I'll read their names in a second. So, Kirby, should they keep on talking or just pass the bill or 
or just let Obamacare stand in place? Well, the argument always is is that you only get one more bite at the apple. And I think a lot of the people around here are saying, I just don't think that the apple is worth taking a bite of. So, you know, we're talking about the Better Care Reconciliation Act. Did they improve some things from the House? Yes, they did. As a matter of fact, there were a couple of very significant changes that are there. Would that prevent you from forcing people to buy insurance right now because the Supreme Court ruled that you could do that because it was a a tax. Yes, there may be some benefits there, but um, in terms of trying to come up with a market that is truly a free market where you actually are able to buy a policy that you want and can afford that doesn't have such high deductibles, uh, Ted Cruz has tried to come up with some alternatives that would say, okay, if indeed each state and each insurance company has to have at least one compliant insurance policy, they could have some others that are inexpensive. Yeah, that's a little bit, but uh, you're, we are so far away from what, say, uh, Dr. Ben Carson suggested, where everybody would have their own health savings account. It would be a truly free market in which you could actually determine who your doctor would be, how you would spend the money, and all the rest. And I think the difficulty is is that the insurance companies have so much clout, and so they determine ultimately how these individuals are going to vote. And so to have a really true free market would be requiring us to defund Medicare and Medicaid and all sorts of things. That's not happening anytime soon. Okay, we only have 30 seconds left, so I'm going to say one thing now, and then we come back from the break. I want to talk about this some more. I've gotten to the point where I think there are basically two kinds of Republicans in Washington on this issue, on this health care issue. And that is that people who understand that socialized medicine is the Trojan horse that crushes American freedom. Mm-hmm. You either get that, you see what Obamacare is, you see what this whole area of law is. It is a, it is a Trojan horse bringing socialism to America. You either get it or you don't. And if you don't get it, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. I want the people who get what it is and will fight tooth and nail. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to firstliberty.org now. 
Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in healthcare, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition in the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. Again, I'm so glad you tuned in. I have my fabulous Right View Roundtable here. We were talking before the break, and I want to go back and, and um, just talk about what we, where we are with this Senate bill that is a complete non-repeal of um, Obamacare. In fact, I want to mention there's a great article. We put them up on AmericaCanWeTalk.org, a great article by um, Daniel Horowitz, uh, which was in the—he um, writes a conservative review— and he has this article <laughs> called The GOP's Obamacare Out, Repeal and Replace in Copy and Paste. He's making the point that Republicans 
he's embellishing Lori's point. Republicans simply never stand up on substantive principle. They take the big government plans the Democrats come up with. They nibble around the edges, a little nip, little nip and tuck here and there, and try to pretend it was repeal. This a bill in the Senate is nothing like repeal. It's nothing close to repeal. It is nothing like the return of America's health care system to a free market system. And this is what Republicans, again, had ran on for years and years, since 2010, when Obama signed Obamacare into law in March of 2010. Republicans have run midterm elections, presidential years. We're going to repeal. We promise, you know, every single route we're going to put every single time. We're going to pull it up by the roots. And then they get a chance. They have the House, the Senate and the White House, and they won't do it. And again, I think all the things to start thinking these kinds of terms. We conservatives who actually like freedom, actually want free markets, we have to start to recognize, at least in this issue, you either get the concept that socialized medicine, that this bill is all about socialized medicine, it is the Trojan horse to take away America's freedom. You either get that and you kill the bill or you don't get it and you nibble around the edges. And right now I'm with Ted Cruz. I know he's trying to negotiate. Maybe he'll come up with some things and make it palatable. I even heard, I guess Mike Needham was on Fox this morning, the guy from Heritage Action saying, well, they're looking at some things. Maybe we can get it done. To me, the, the, we were talking in the break about this, the need for clarity and leadership, the need for, Lori didn't say this, but I'm saying it, the Ronald Reagan type, you know, we don't do socialism. We're a country of liberty. We're going to return this. And in fact, Ronald Reagan warned about letting socialized medicine come yep. to America. We need that kind of inspirational leader. The only one I really see in Washington is Ted Cruz. Mike Lee is pretty darn good. And Rand Paul is always a bit unpredictable, but he does get it on this issue. Anyway, I really wanted to say, I just, I'm, I think the American people are yearning for leadership. And I think that when you talk about leadership, it's not just that you want to get the American people behind you in this notion of full repeal, go for free market, have the government's role be limited to if finding some way, essentially parallel to welfare, for the truly, physically, and mentally unable to work, and for those chronically uninsurable, some program that does a little bit of help make sure they get access access to care, and maybe access to insurance policy. That's all the government should be doing. But those people need to inspire not just the American people, but their fellow members of Congress, their fellow senators. Where are the leaders in both houses? I will say the House Freedom Caucus has been pretty good on the House side, just saying, no, we actually meant repeal or we're targeting. In the Senate, we have just a tiny handful. But we we have a leadership vacuum in Washington on this issue. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's as I was continuing my rant and they break. You go. (laughs) Um, You know, these guys, these congressmen and these senators, they are in incredibly elite positions uh, that, I mean, they affect things worldwide. And you look through history, the positions they are in, it's so important. And they are elected to lead. They are not elected to be bureaucrats. We've got enough bureaucrats in Washington. We've got enough agencies up there for people to sit in cubicles and write rules about my life. Um, These guys are elected to lead. I want my congressman, Michael Burgess, I want you to lead. And I've tweeted you a bunch of times about this. I want you to be the leader that you told me you're going to be. I want all of our congressmen to lead. Stop being bureaucrats. Well, again, one of the things that Lori was talking about is what I call the pottery barn problem. You break it, you own it. And that is that (laughs) if the Republicans have a cut and paste uh, Obamacare light, they own it at this point. Now, the question you have to ask is, 
The reason this was sold to us is because of the four Ps. One of those was the issue of pre-existing conditions. Does this particular set of uh, regulations that were put together by the United States Senate do anything with pre-existing conditions? Really doesn't deal with that at all. What about uh, those individuals concerned about price? Will the price go down? Maybe, but that's a real big question about that at right that. Yeah, no. Do we have anything in terms of portability? That's the other one that is not dealt with. Right. And so you can just go through this very long list. I won't even bore you with all the P's oh, and all good. the other issues and, and buying uh, po- uh, policies across state lines and all sorts of other issues. The big problem, and I think you alluded to that just a minute ago, Debbie, is health care really can't be at the national level. Health care and health insurance in Tupelo, Mississippi, is very different than in Detroit, Michigan. It's very different even in the state of Texas in Harlingen than it is in Dallas-Fort Worth. And so when you start trying to have a one-size-fits-all policy and then you mandate 10 different elements that have to be in that policy, I don't care if you're 65 years of age, you have to have a policy that has pre-existing conditions. It has one for mental. It even has one for uh, various kind of uh, prenatal care, one for pediatric. All You just go down this list. There have to be 10 things in every policy. This is not going to work. Now, again, Ted Cruz is trying to come up with a way in which you don't have to have all 10. That might change the price. But I just think you're back to the pottery barn dilemma. That is, if the Republicans pass it, then you break it, you own it, yep. and it is going to be a disaster for them in the next election. I could not agree more because the Democrats, at least the radical leftists, are very organized. They have not just the ones in Washington. They vote as a block in the Senate and the House. They will vote to hold on to Obamacare. And their people, they have, and I don't know whether they really have their base behind them, but most activism in the left is saying, keep Obamacare, don't let it go away. On the conservative side, we have to have 17 different opinions. In fact, nine, nine people Republicans in the U.S. Senate, who no doubt went along with this idea of we're going to repeal Obamacare, now they have a chance and they're they're finding, they're nitpicking as to clauses and conditions and the exact formula to calculate this and whether or not you're going to have, you know, uh, Medicaid can expand at this point but not this way until this time period but not that. And honestly, somebody who came along as a freedom leader and articulated what is wrong with Obamacare is it's socialized medicine. It is the most unhealthy thing for a free country to begin to embrace. That person really is needed to be a leader in Washington, to be a leader in the House. He did on the Senate floor for more than 24 or 21 hours. Yes, and our Ted ha- Cruz. And look what happened to that. Look what happened. Look at the way he was treated for standing up and speaking truth about Obamacare, trying to defund it, if you remember at that time. And look what happened to Ted Cruz. I mean, these guys, they look around, they look at what happened to Ted. What's the motivation to stand up? But for me, the fact that the GOP has voted over 50 times to repeal Obamacare and they cannot do the same vote again shows you the duplicity of the GOP. They never had a desire to ever repeal it. You know, this point Lori just made, I mean, it's been made by many commentators, and it's exactly right. Many people are concluding Republicans could not have ever been sincere That's right. in claiming they want to repeal Obamacare because they kept voting for it at a time they knew that they had President Obama in the White House and he would veto it. So now they have that power and they won't do it. And you hear excuses. You see, well, we read polling and you see some people kind of like it. And honestly, I do not think, this is a good segue to this, I saw that Newt Gingrich said... That if Republicans don't get this done, 
that they are going to lose the midterm elections. And you know what? I got to say, I feel like I don't know which way he meant that, but I think that conservatives in this country who just and even especially the non-political types who for the first time got involved and voted for Trump because they loved all the energy and patriotism and rah rahness and they thought he would get rid of Obamacare. Those people watching the Republicans, you know, uh, contradicting each other, fussing and fighting, nipping and tucking around the edges of this bill. And they realize these Republicans lied to us. Yep. They lied to us. They aren't going to do a darn thing about it. What they're talking about is just, you know, it's just a muddled mess. They are going to stay home in 2018. And the Democrats who are very motivated to hold on to socialized medicine and that's the other thing are going to turn out. So I think, I mean, maybe the numbers are too big. We can't, they, the, the Democrats can't take back the House in 2018. But the passion is all on the left because on our side, the conservative side, there's, there's just profound frustration, profound frustration. I'll tell you something else. It's a consequence. I don't know if Republicans are thinking about. But if this bill, they, if they can't get Obamacare really repealed and it, Obamacare then fails as it was failing of its own, you know, poor design. The left is going to be back saying, okay, single payer. That's what we want all along, and now we're going to do it. And then we'll be deciding as conservatives, is that the point we say, hey, wait, no, don't give us this, you know, single payer thing. We'll, we'll go back to free market. Then we're back to constructing a whole new system that we should have been fighting for right now. We get 10 seconds. See that one quick? Nope. Ten, okay, sorry. 10 seconds till a break. This guy plays music while I'm trying to talk. Let me come back. I, we should switch off Obamacare. I do want to talk a little bit more, though, about what will happen in 2018. Anyway, come back after the break. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. 
If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Hi, this is Debbie George Addis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. And welcome back. I'm so glad you tuned in to America Can We Talk. So my happy right view roundtable tonight, Kirby Anderson, Lori Medina. We're going to change topics, okay? We've had enough about the health care bill. I really urge you to read enough about it to understand that the bottom line is the Republicans are not in any meaningful sense repealing Obamacare. In the latest Senate bill and the House bill, they're not in any honest sense repealing what is the socialized medicine goal of the left they are enabling it. They are fumbling around. We're either going to end up with an Obamacare in place and imploding, and then they'll want single payer, or we're going to end up with a mess the GOP creates and even have more of a problem because the GOP owns it. I don't want the GOP owning the mess that McConnell and the, and the House people came up with. I think we ought to just let it go and then fight and be ready with the free market bill. The other thing that Horowitz, Daniel Horowitz wrote, which I thought was a great point, is why don't the House— you know, uh, House Freedom Fund and Freedom Caucus and the Senate conservatives come together, write the bill they want and just sell it to the American people. Go right over the heads. of. The, I, I like this idea. Just write the bill you want and try to sell it because I think they would hear many, many people rising up and saying, yes, that one. 
that's what we want. Because too much of the interest and in many people and the Republicans, the House and Senate, is not about what's the best thing for the American people. It's about what's the best thing given all the donations I get from the insurance industry and the control right. the insurance industry have and the pharmaceutical people and the medical industry and they all kind of like this government-controlled stuff. This is why there needs to be – I would love that idea. Just put your free market – okay. But changing the subject – we're going to talk about <laughs> President another, Trump. Another lighter subject. <laughs> yes, to a lighter subject. Well, we're going to let, we'll do a light subject in the last little segment. But you know, there so kind of three bits of uh, news that are related to when Donald Trump ran for president. I would say among the things that lit people on fire were his notion of we have to have a secure border, we have to stop bringing refugees here who are dangerous to us, um, and we need to. Stop making U.S. assets available to immigrants. So there's a little bit of news this week. I was just going to the quickest summary about number of refugees. They did. There was news out of Washington this week that the number of refugees admitted to the United States, admitted to the United States, was cut by nearly half in the first three months of the Trump administration compared with the final three months of the Obama presidency, reflecting the new president's you know, position on immigration. So refugees are cut nearly in half. The government statistics showed on Friday that there were more than 25,000 refugees were permitted to enter and reside in the U.S. Um, at the end of the Obama administration. In the first months under Trump, it never fell to below 13,000. So this is good. This is in president following through on something that people are concerned about refugees, especially where they come from and what they believe. So um, this I, this was a good thing. But then there was another um, new bit of news that was talked about this week that was also related to people coming, not to refugees, um, but to the um, kind of what we do with people who are already here and, and subject to some of the completely unconstitutional executive orders issued by President Obama which, because he couldn't get Congress to do his will, he simply resorted to, you know, dictator-like writing executive orders, DACA and DAPA. And Lori was going to hit it with what happened with those. Okay, well, DAPA never happened. So DAPA never existed. So for Obama, or Obama, golly. Trump. Trump. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm so mad. I'm calling him Obama. Okay. Uh, for Trump to say that he is ending DAPA is it at the very least disingenuous. Can I tell you what that tell what it stands for? Yeah, DAPA please. is Deferred Action for Parents of Americans, and so it's people whose children are citizens, but the parents are not. So it was an idea he had, but as Lori said, it never got implemented. It never happened. So he came out with this big announcement that says, "Guess what, guys? I'm ending DAPA." Well, <laughs> you know that's like saying it never started. I'm Lori is ending eating beets. Well, guess what? I don't eat beets. So, uh, you know, this was just a non-starter. It was completely disingenuous. So back to the DACA thing, because, and DACA is the children. Deferred action for childhood arrivals. Yes. So this is when children, remember a few years ago, a couple of years ago, we had all the children crossing over the border and uh, there was a big rush of children and they were pushing them all in because if they came in, they became anchors. And then later the, all the families could come across the border. So, and it was a very dangerous thing and lots of children died along the way. It was a horrible thing. So, for a lot of reasons, it's conservative. We wanted to end that. We wanted to uh, we wanted to end DACA for a lot of reasons. And DACA was actually something during the campaign that was talked about vigorously about yes. ending DACA. So, the question is, so if, if Trump ended DAPA that never started, is he going to end DACA? Well, the answer, unfortunately, is no. He is not ending DACA. Um, he is not only not ending DACA, but he has issued... 
uh, what is it, 125,000 uh, uh, DACA, DACA cards, DACA cards uh, in, the, in the first three months of his presidency. So, no, he's not ending DACA. He is not following through on his promises. You know, it's a real interesting thing. We were talking about in the break, and I think Kirby wanted to chime in, too. But I was on this subject. This is a guy, this president, who is just, I mean, and his supporters as well as the detractors would say, he's not a, a policy detail guy. He's not a substantive guy. I'm not even sure if you asked him if he knew what DACA and DAPA stand for, he would know. Right. Um, and I'm not sure he's, it is not like a conscious decision. Yeah, I'm going to keep DACA in place. It just kind of is, I think it's on um, administrative autopilot. It shouldn't be because it really was something that it was not only that it was a questionable um, policy about uh, dealing with people who are here, but it was issued in an unconstitutional manner. And that was one by President Obama. It was one of those things that President Obama did. Many conservatives said he shouldn't be allowed to do this, but this is being permitted to occur. And I'm glad a lot of fuss is being made. Again, this, this article about this by Daniel Horowitz is up on our website, americacanwetalk.org. Well, and I like the fact that you've posted it because what he says is Trump granted executive amnesty. It's not that he did. It's just that he doesn't even have it on the front burner. And yeah. again, uh, think about the things you said we weren't going to talk about on this show that have been a distraction from this president. I'm not giving him credit. Or I'm not giving him an excuse. But the reality is, is that when there are so many issues every single day where the press is questioning whether or not you've told the truth, whether or not you have links to that country that you weren't going to mention. Are you SSIA? Yeah, and all the others. <laughs> uh, this just it just takes the oxygen out of the room. It takes the lack yeah. of focus. And if there's one thing that uh, Donald Trump seems to have a little difficulty with, it is focus. You know, (laughs) ADD is probably a lot closer to the kind of person that he is. So you would say, okay, that's not what the president should do. We've had presidents in the past that were not detailed oriented. Ronald Reagan Reagan, is a good example. George W. Bush, for that matter, said, I have five Mm -hmm. principles and I'm not going to spend much more time except on those five very key principles in my presidency. But then you expect your secretary of Homeland Security, right, Right. to be dealing with this. And when you have leftovers from the previous administration, the bureaucracy just keeps moving along and just keeps doing what it does unless you take deliberate steps to interrupt what is taking place. Okay, it reminds me of something else I wanted to mention. I um, We all, listeners, we all email throughout the week and talk about what do you want to talk about this Sunday. So we have, you know, in case we get, there's a snowstorm and we're stuck on air for six hours. We have a lot to talk about, <laughs> but we only have a little more time. There's a related issue, though, that I was going to tell you about. And if you've been following this, Enlist Act, this is interesting. It is in the House, Enlist, like just like the word E-N-L-I-S-T, I, you know, they have some clever way the acronym works. I don't know what the heck it stands for. But the basic idea of it is that it would provide a legal basis for amnesty for illegals in exchange for military service. In exchange for oh military service. Okay, so this is interesting because Democrats want any way to make illegals, yes. you know, become legal. They're thinking, hey, this is great. They serve the military. Why not? But some Republicans have gotten on board. And so there's been an activity with the Heritage Foundation and other conservatives are saying, wait a minute. Here we're trying to say we want to return to law and order, and you're going to say you serve in the military and you get amnesty for illegal entry in the country. Plus, who knows what danger you might be putting the military in? Who are these people? What if you are a terrorist? Say, hey, yeah, I'll come to America. I'll I'll do the Enlist Act thing. And so you're in the middle of the American military with access to whatever it is you have access to. I mean, it's it's one of those things that it might sound kind of cool on the surface, but it it seems also dangerous. We still go ahead. Uh, back to your refugee thing. I want to jump back to that real quick. 
you know what? If if you went further down in that Los Angeles Times article, yeah, it actually says that comparing month to month of last year Obama's numbers a full year ago, yes, yeah, um, uh, Trump is only twelve percent lower in refugees than Obama. And Obama you know, ramped it up at the end, yeah, really yeah. fast, and so that's why it looked like a comparison, a big drop off. But actually, one you know one year ago. His numbers are pretty darn consistent with Obama's. And, you know, I've seen other articles on refugees where um, it's not just that we have um, a struggle with refugee policy. We, you know, President Trump issued his executive orders. The court struck him down. But there are reports continuing that these groups that sponsor refugee, uh, large groups of refugees that come to America, are still doing it. They're still bringing people here. We still don't know who they are. So we haven't solved the refugee problem yet, but we have solved the problem of completing our next last segment before it's time to go to the break. So when we come back, I just want to tell you about a Supreme Court case, maybe a little more on refugees, a Supreme Court case relating to a rock band called The Slants. Okay, we'll come right back after the break. On August 2, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. 
We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Can you hear us now? Can you hear us now? And welcome back. I'm so glad you've tuned in. This is our final little segment tonight, and I'm, you know, fastest two hours of my week and funnest two hours. I want to take a moment and thank the sponsor of our show, GC Works, sponsors America Can We Talk. And GC Works is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Could not do the show without them. Thank you. I'm so very grateful for them. Okay, so on a lighter note, we've got a lot of serious topics tonight, (laughs) but a really cool story came out of the United States Supreme Court this week, and actually it was a unanimous decision, an 8-0 decision, which doesn't happen all that often, and the decision related to a rock band comprised of of, of men who are Asian. I'm not sure if they're Chinese or Japanese or what their orientation is, but I mean their ethnicity is, but anyway, they have a rock band. And they applied to get the for the trademark to get the, the name of their band to be the Slants. Now, Slant became a pejorative term, I believe, during World War II and dealing with the Japanese. Maybe it was before that, but in any case, it's considered a pejorative term, uh, offensive to use toward Asians. But these guys are Asian, and they wanted to be called the Slants. However, the uh, United States Patent and Trademark Office denied their application under this thing called the Lanham Act. The Lanham Act said that you prohibited trademarks that disparage or bring into contempt or disrepute any person's living or dead. So basically we're saying that's a a pejorative term, that's rude, you cannot name your band the slants. And so they, the slant, the group, the band, took the case all the way to the Supreme Court that ruled 8-0. It was not 9 because Gorsuch didn't hear the argument in January, so he couldn't rule. But 8-0 in favor of the band, saying, of course they can name this. And they actually had one of the best things that came out of this decision was a sentence which essentially said that just because, even if you think it's hate speech, 
it's still protected speech. And even a trademark name is a form of speech. So they really stood up for this right for this band to call themselves Slants. And I, anyway, we, we, I'll let you guys chime in. I just thought it was a great story about kind of silencing this endless, politically correct, obnoxious, just annoying American left. And I'll tell you something else that, that fell under the Lanham Act, by the way. I think it was in 2014. The U.S., the same office, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, removed the trademark for the Washington Redskins under this very act, saying the Redskins was a pejorative name. They still call themselves the Redskins. They still use the same emblem. They just don't have the trademark protection anymore. I hope they take that. Actually, I hope they take that case to the Supreme Court, too. But it was kind of a refreshing affirmation of free speech. Well, and I love these young men uh, who are in this band, and they're Americans. Uh, they're Americans. Their heritage is Asian. Uh, but I, I love their statements. I mean, they said it's an effort to reclaim a derogatory term and change it to something that is powerful. They also said um, uh, they, uh, they have the right, all marginalized communities, to determine what is best for ourselves and disarm toxic language and symbols. I mean, I, to me, that's what freedom of speech is about. You know, I, I believe in the free market. If a uh, if a store who sells, um, let's say, uh, sporting goods, and they say, you know what, we're not going to sell sporting goods to Jews. No Jews are welcome here. Well, at that point, uh, we're all going to go crazy. And we're going to, like, hold signs out front. We're going to pick it. No one and, shops there. And no one's going to shop there. And that place is going to go out of business. They're going to be held accountable. They can say whatever they want. But... They, they are held responsible. There is consequences to that. So, but, but we're allowed to say whatever we want. I, I, you know, I, I think this is great. Well, I thought it was a great decision. I agree. I'm even liking the reason that this band just yeah. saying, hey, you know, why does slants have to be a derogatory term? We're going to make it cool. That's right. and, and even if they don't succeed at that, they're allowed to say this is what, how we like, this is words we like to be called. We're fine with it. Well, they're going to succeed at it because nobody has ever heard of the slants. You know, we have our <laughs> millennial roundtable. Nobody around my millennial roundtable had ever heard of this band. Everybody's heard of it now. But again, just to have eight to zero, you can't get eight Supreme Court justices I sometimes jokingly say, to agree that the sky is blue. So that is certainly the case. It will help the Washington Redskins. But let's go back to the other issue. There was some internal debate because I think the liberal justices recognize if you take this principle and then apply it to speech codes on campus or apply it to Evergreen State College or apply that to UC Berkeley, we've got a problem. So even though on the the bigger issue, they were 8-0. to zero. On the lower issue, there was some intramural debate because they began to realize that if you really take the view that all three of us around the table hold to, free speech has to be free. Even if you don't like that speech, even if you think it's hate speech, even if you think it is derogatory speech, that's what free speech is all about. Let the market sort it out. Uh, there were a couple of progressives that on the more fine points recognized where this could take them. And uh, if nothing else... I like the fact that they told that the patent office, the trademark and patent office, this is not a decision that a couple of bureaucrats with political correctness need to make. This is a decision we're going to leave to the market to make. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really a win in that regard. I love that, too. They Actually, there was a little listing in one article. I can't remember which one it was. It was talking about other uh, trademarks that had been uh, denied based on this Lanham, Lanham Act 
Uh, one, I think, was called Abort the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like, okay, you want to call yourself that? Knock yourself out. Knock yourself I mean, out. <laughs> you know, some that people will like well. it and right. some, most yeah. people won't. So knock yourself out. Yeah, I, I love this kind of. And actually, as we're coming up on the July 4th holiday and the kind of celebration of America's freedoms, I love that that case came down then. Okay, if there's nothing else in that case, I want to turn to just, um, we had a quiz earlier, and they did pretty well. They, they got the three states. Okay, but I thought there were some actually other interesting things about America and where we are as a country, and actually it tied into some things we were talking about a little earlier. On the subject of the borders, you know, how secure a border should be, there was polling by Rasmussen, and they do these, and they let you dive down the demographic details. Okay, first of all, what percent of likely voters in America think it's better for the U.S. to tightly control who comes in the country. How many people would you think would say, what, I think it's a good thing to tightly control who comes in the country? Actually, likely voters, people who actually voted in the past. And and I, and I know the number, so I can't answer. Oh, you read this article? Yes. Oh, geez, you read the article. So okay. We'll let Lori guess. Uh, I think it's a high number. I would say, what, 70%. You know what? 50. Oh. 50. Okay. What is it? Okay. Who are the other 50% who do not think we should have secure borders? Are you, I'm going to knock mean, on their door tonight yeah, and say, go talk to them. Say, can I come in and think? I mean, you know, it's like your home. You lock your door at night. You close your door. You decide who comes in based on, ah, oh, you look sketchy. Yeah, come on in. But you can't do that for your country. I mean, these these numbers are really staggering. Of course, it a little bit different Republicans versus Democrats, as you might right. imagine. You know, the, the lawless left. They're one of those. But again, I, it's the way the question was asked. But still, it I think illustrates the tremendous education that needs to take place Correct. to have Correct. really people thinking about this. Correct. They're not the ones that are listening to America. Can we talk? That's right. Or point of view radio. (laughs) That's right. In fact, the Republicans, it was 75 percent. Even even only 75 percent Republicans. Like (sighs) the other 25 percent. Where have you been living under a rock or something? And I just actually found that was really interesting. And I told this one on a break, but they also had a poll about likely voters who said they're open to the idea of open borders to anyone who wants to come here except criminals or terrorists. And that was 38%. 38%. Because they wear okay. a shirt that says that. I'm a terrorist. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I, mean, a good, you know. I mean, seriously. You know, you, you do. You get kind of shocked by these things. And then actually, I thought this was also interesting because we were talking um, kind of related to several issues for tonight. But we were talking about the idea of, you know, we have... People in Washington who seem not to be listening to the Republicans. We had we have conservatives, we had Tea Party people that came out from and got the Republican majority in the House and the Senate in the White House, and we still can't get them to pass Obamacare uh, repeal. And then you can't get people. You're thinking, well, maybe we should get people to run against them. But they had some polling about money being too big a hurdle for most people to run for Congress. And so a very low number, what people on percent likely voters said, it's they think it's possible for anyone to run for Congress, regardless of how much money they had. What percent Americans think that? These people really do live under a rock. Okay, 20%. I mean, seriously, they think it's anyone can do it. Amazing, amazing stuff. Okay, um, and actually a very high percentage said the amount of money necessary for a campaign makes it impossible for most people to run. How many people said that? That's it's high. 
have no idea. Okay, 71% of Americans. This is good. They realize this. Okay. Because what we were talking about earlier was even if you want, if you're frustrated as all get out, you want to get change, we have, and we can just jump in. I know we have only two minutes left, but Lori and I have talked about this subject on and off air many times. The problem is, even if you look at someone in Washington, you say, my gosh, the guy never votes the way he says he would. He turns his back on us. So I want to run in a primary against him. What the Republicans do to people who dare to challenge in a primary, and Lori had experience on the ground. We were talking about two instances in 2014, talking about the Lamar Alexander race, mm-hmm. where there was a great conservative. Was it mm-hmm. Joe, Joe Carr? Carr? Joe Carr. Mm-hmm. And then again in, in 2014 mm-hmm. also in Mississippi, Senator yeah. Thad Cochran. Well, you, and Milton Wolf in Kansas. And Mil- how could I forget him? Yeah. Was that 2014 yes, too? Yes. Oh my gosh. Dr. Wolf. Yep, yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, Lori worked in all three of those yep. campaigns, and just we only have like a minute and a half. But what Washington does to somebody who tr- tries to say, "I'm going to challenge an incumbent because I want more conservative. I want someone who adheres to conservatism." Just quick summary: What they do to to Wolf, for example? Uh, well, Wolf, they don't. They don't want to just defeat you. They want to destroy you. And so for Dr. Milton Wolf, who's a young radiologist and his profession was being a doctor, um, they trumped up charges uh, that was uh, sent it to the, the state medical board and tried to take away his medical license. Um, okay, and this is not the Democrats. We're this is about, Republicans. This is the established Republicans who are saying, don't you dare That's run right. against one of our club. We tell you who gets to be in this House and yep. Senate. Yep. Same with Thad Cochran in Mississippi. They actually ran when they tried to have a great upstart challenge him in a primary. The Republican, the established Republicans show up in Mississippi and spread rumors about how this guy is going to. Well, they, uh, they did robocalls. And, and made racist claims about him. Yes. That he was going to be racist. I say all this to say, folks, you know, I do this show every week because I love America. I want to defend the right, noble, exceptional, wonderful idea of America. And we have all sorts of reasons. And, and you know, there's plenty of ways to be involved and plenty of issues to, Matt, to care about and to be involved with. But so important to remember what we're really defending is the idea of America. That's the whole point of politics. It's the whole point of this show. Being involved is to defend the unique, great, exceptional idea that is America. What we do every week is talk truth about America. So talk to you in a week. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.